you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Also, it's as you think about that song, The Reckless Love of God, um, this morning as we gather together as a family, there's an individual that's here that's really here because of the grace of God. Shouldn't be here, shouldn't be walking, shouldn't be talking, shouldn't be smiling. If the doctors said really shouldn't been able to celebrate his birthday yesterday, and he turned 69 yesterday, where is, where is Larry at? So would you mind just standing for us? Larry had 99% blockage in his Widowmaker. Uh, both carotid arteries had to be repaired. One of them, they basically just sliced open and peeled off all the stuff. The doctors cannot figure out how he's still walking, talking, and even alive. It's because God wanted us to be here today. So glad to have you with us this morning. Recovering from... Recovering from open-heart surgery as well. There's still one other guy back there that we need to keep our eye on. Is Mr. Dwayne. He's sitting there. He's recovering from open-heart surgery too. Uh, it's an amazing how God just pursues us. God wants a relationship uh, with us, and he's willing to go after that. And even at times, we don't think it's the best way. He does certain things to get our attention. And so... Um, Saying that, you need to pray for the Bustamantes, uh, Jamie's father's funeral this afternoon at 1. So Pastor Andy will uh, be doing that uh, service this afternoon at 1. And the Salazar family is with us today as well. Uh, and their loved one, their father, husband, has went on to be with the Lord. And there will be a service here on Tuesday for them. Even in the midst of all that brokenness, God's still seeking after you. He's still choosing to be purposeful about developing a relationship with you. What I love about it at times and what I don't like about it at times, he doesn't ask your permission in any of those scenarios because he's in charge. So he will do what is best to get your attention however he determines best. What I found, the easiest way is to come to him humbly. The hard way is is when I have a tendency to be a little bit more rebellious and then he has a tendency to beat me on the back of the head with a two-by-four to get my attention because he really wants me to be a son that loves him. He does not want me to walk in rebellion. He does not want me to walk in my way. He wants me to walk in the fullness of who he is. Saying that, you're at Matthew uh, chapter 17. Praying that the cross has been part of who you are or what you are or what you want to be part of your life. I pray that the scriptures are something that are exciting to you. I pray that as you gather together as families, that the word of God is something that's fun for you. That the cross means everything to you. Um. I know there are certain things that, that you get excited about. I can't wait to see which boxes will be packed. I don't know where they're all going to go. But some of those boxes are going to get to a kid that's never really had their own, believe it or not, comb, toothbrush, pencils, pens. Some of those kids have never had that just for themselves. It's never been theirs. This is mine. And so they're going to be standing there with Samaritan's purse, and there's going to be somebody that's going to hand them a shoebox, and can you see the excitement in the kid's heart? 
And I love to watch when kids and children get those things because it's contagious. You can just see it all of them. They can't help themselves. Just let me open this thing. I don't know their name, his or her name. But my prayer is there be some excitement in your soul with a book that you call the Bible. That there be something inside of you saying, man, this, this is just exciting. These verses mean something to us. So I take you to Matthew chapter 17 this morning. And most of you, when you get to Matthew chapter 17, you're going to read the, the, the title, The Transfiguration, which is true, and we're going to talk about that. You also can find that in Luke chapter 9, and you can also find it in Mark chapter 9 as well. But this is Matthew's account of the transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John. And he led them to a high mountain by themselves. I want you to stop there. I want you to see this little word called six. Some say eight, but we're going we're to go with six this, this morning. Six days. As you read that passage of Scripture, you read those words. Six days from what? what is, what's the big deal about six days? It's been six days since Jesus looked at his group, his disciples, and said, Guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. Six days for Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples to have a discussion. Did he really say die? Is he really going to rise again? He said the gates of hell is not going to stop this. What's going on with this guy? Six days of conversation amongst themselves saying, really, what's going on here? Six days for them to realize, to come to a point in their life that they probably hadn't heard before. Follow me. Deny yourself. Six days of them walking around. John, did you really think he means that we need to say no to what we want to do? Peter coming back said, absolutely, knowing Peter, that's what you're supposed to do. Don't, can't, what's wrong with you? Deny yourself. Six days of wrestling with truth. What I love about Jesus is after the end of these six days, he's going to take Peter, James, and John. He's going to take them to a high mountain. I think that's one of the reasons God's created in my heart a love for mountains because amazing things happen on mountains. If you have some time with your scriptures this afternoon, Exodus chapter 3. That will remind you of Moses in the burning bush. 1 Kings chapter 18. There's going to be a prophet of God, an individual that's going to be involved in a battle where the nation of Israel is saying, you know what, we don't really know if we really buy into this whole God concept. Is he really that powerful? Are we going to trust the things that we know as past as true? Are we going to depend on him? So you got this one individual, his name's Elijah. He's going to build an altar, going to pour water all around it. There's going to be a lot of false prophets there crying out to their God. And Elijah's God, after he prays, brings down fire from heaven, wipes away the offering. The water's gone. A demonstration of his power so the nation of Israel said, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. That took place on a mountain. Another passage of Scripture where neat things took place on a mountain is Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is going to go to the mountain. Satan's going to come to him and tempt him. Wonderful thing about this mountain in Matthew chapter 4 is for, for you and I sitting here today to know if you're going to battle against Satan, you need to know the Scriptures. 
Jesus repeated to Satan, it is written, it is written, it is written. I'm praying that you know the scriptures in the world that you live in full of lies that you can take the scriptures and say, it is written. Here's the truth. But this morning we're going to talk more than that. In Matthew chapter 17, it's, it's more than the Old Testament. It's more than Jesus being on the mountain. It's going to be Peter, James, and his brother John with them. He took them to the high mountain in verse 2. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, three there appeared to them, Moses and Elijah, talking with them. And then Peter said to Jesus. For the first time, Jesus is going to reveal his glory to the disciples. For the first time, they're going to actually get a chance to see who Jesus is on this mountain. Now, there's something that's very interesting to me as you, as you read through this account. You do not find the, the response of the disciples until the end of Matthew 17. As you move along in Matthew chapter 17, I want you to see something. It's going to be really clear in here in a second. But you know what's fascinating to me is? These disciples do not fall on their face before Jesus. They haven't stopped in, the, in this opportunity or where they are right here right now And if you read Luke's account and Mark's account, there's some other things that are in there. But it's interesting to me that Matthew points out nothing about who they are after they see this transfigured Jesus. One of the things that's neat is, is if you have some time this afternoon, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13, or verse 3 talks about the radiant glory, the radiance of his glory. 1 John chapter 1, verses 14, or verse 1 through 4 talks about how John is now recounting to us in 1 John how he saw the glory of God. Can you imagine as John writes to a doubting generation where there's hypocrisy and there's lies being told and John says, wait a second, I saw this Jesus. I was there. I walked with him. I know who he is. And then most of us like 1 John because of the end of 1 John in chapter 5, 11 through 13, John writes so that we can know we have eternal life. And so the beginning of John, 1 John chapter 1 is, hey, I know this Jesus. I saw him. I was there. Peter, James, and I, we were there. We saw the transfigured Jesus. We saw his death. We saw he rose again. We saw the glory of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to a father except through Jesus. Another thing that's interesting in Matthew chapter 17 is this whole thing with Moses and Elijah. You know, and and as I read through this Matthew chapter 17, I'm I'm not really thinking a whole lot about Moses and Elijah because I'm not a Jew. Why wasn't David there? Why wasn't somebody else that was there? Why Moses and Elijah? Why is it important for this account to have Moses and Elijah in it, as well as the the other two accounts? Well, Moses was often referred to in Jewish scriptures as the, or the Jewish scriptures often referred to him as the law of Moses. Elijah was the defender of the law, encouraging Israel to come back to the law, encouraging Israel to say, no, I'm not going to buy into this, I'm going to buy into the truth. So you have Moses, who is the representation of the law. The Jewish people knew the law. The, hypocrite, the, um, 
not the hypocrite, well, they, they were hypocritical. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they knew the law. And who else is with him? The one who's defender of the law. Turn back to the truth. So you have the two people with Jesus to represent the authentication that Jesus is the Messiah is standing there. Moses and Elijah and Jesus. No response to the disciples. Now if you'd have been there and Moses and Elijah and Jesus would have been there, you would think there would have been an, an automatic response from the disciples. I don't see that. Look at Peter's response. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make you three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I'll build a tent. How long are we going to be hanging out here? I don't know, but I'll build you a tent. That's my response. Fascinating to me. But here's where I think the Scriptures get exciting are these next words. He says this in verse 5. Matthew's account, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, who I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. I was sitting in my office thinking, this isn't the first time they've heard God's voice. They were at the baptism of Jesus. They've heard him speak before. Why now? What is taking place in the disciples' life where they've got six days after, Matthew wants us to know, Peter, James, and John on a high mountain, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, the glory of Jesus is there. And now, when the Father speaks, they fall on their face. Hmm. I don't have an answer, I don't think. You know what I thought was interesting? When was the last time I saw God in my life and I fell on my face and worshipped towards Him? When was the last time you and I have heard the truth of Scripture? God's Word to you that caused a response like this. At times, it could be from a circumstance. At times, it could be, wow, that verse is just amazing. And because it's so amazing, in response, I just say, Lord, I want to fall on my face and worship you. And I really think we need to spend some time thinking about this. It's easy for me to come and just read through Matthew chapter 17 and say, yeah, there's the glory of God, there's Moses, there's Elijah. Wow, this is just awesome. And read right on past. No responsibility of our knowledge of the Scriptures. It's almost like I've got myself into, well, yeah, I heard what that person said. I'm going to go about my day. Well, that's what so-and-so thinks. I'm just going to go about who I am. Hearing the voice of God will require a response. 
coming to the truth of Scripture and say, okay, what is it? What do you want from me? I want to give you a couple of examples how this has kind of worked its way out in my life. We moved back from South Africa, and, our, and Susan was having some problems with her, with her jaw. They had some TMJ problems. There was popping and clicking and hard time at times for her to close her mouth. There was pain in her, up here in her, uh, her skull. And so the orthodontist said, you know, we really think it's probably best for you to go to Orlando and visit a surgeon. His name was Dr. Dr. Whitman. Fascinating guy. And probably if, if Susan and I would go back up there tomorrow morning and schedule an appointment, if we schedule an appointment and walk them to Dr. Whitman's office, he would remember our names. It's, it's amazing. Now, maybe he has somebody in the office saying, by the way, your next patient's Todd and Susan. I don't know. Um, that doesn't really matter. What matters was is we sat with Dr. Whitman Dr. Whitman said, okay, the surgery costs this and your insurance will pay this. And I can't remember the amounts of money. But he said, I want this. I said, well, wait a minute. My insurance will pay you this and you want this. Yeah, that's how it works in my office. So I walked out of the office Riding home, Susan's talk, talking, you know, I'm thinking numbers. I'm just thinking the numbers. I'm like, this is going to cost me a fortune. So I'm thinking, you know what? I don't have it. I do not have the money. And I remember walking in the back door here. And I remember coming, sitting, I was either sitting right there or I was on my knees right here in front. And I said, God, I can't do this. I cannot physically afford to be able to do what this doctor wants us to do. I can't do it. Now, nothing audible happened. Nothing weird happened. I just walked away knowing that my God was going to take care of this. So, we went through the process. Susan had surgery. Go back for your follow-up appointments. I'm just, you know, figuring, okay, whatever payment plan you got, I'm, you know, here I am. Walked into the office. Lee said, it's all clear. I said, excuse me? Yeah, you don't owe us any money. I said, how? She said, well, it's clear. I walked out of the office and said, you know where it was paid for? My God paid for it. I didn't have it. It wasn't there. And I've got other situations that I can share with you. And, and I don't mind doing I'll, I'll share another one. I remember being in, in going to Seoul, South Korea in, in, in 2017. The, we went with Paul and Helen to go visit some of our missionaries. And I remember being in the orphanage where some of our kids have been before. And I remember standing in, in church on a Sunday morning, just watching those kids sing for everything they were. I was thinking, you know, God, you're here. And you provided a pastor for this little boy and this little girl so they would know the truth of Scripture. And my heart was in awe of who he was. So what I really want you to think about this morning, as you think about this Matthew chapter 17, I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you've been in awe of Jesus? 
I can give you other circumstances that were scary and crazy and weird and God protected me, and I can give you more positive circumstances. I can give you whatever you want to know as far as circumstances. The circumstance never matters. What matters is, will you take the truth of Scripture and be in awe of who He is? Will you say, okay, I hear you. I see you. And we could probably pass the microphone around this morning. Well, this person's had this happen. This person's had this happen. This person's had this happen. And God has done so many different amazing things. Matthew chapter 17, six days, three individuals on a mountain to see the glory of God. And when they saw the glory of God, they humbled themselves under that authority. Now, I realize that you're a human being and humility is not something that comes natural. But what has he done for you to demonstrate to you his power in order for you to humble yourself before him? Some of you should not be alive in here this morning. And that should be a red light going off in your mind. That was God saying, hey, by the way, I want to get your attention. And you're only alive today because I chose for you to be alive. Will you humble yourself underneath who he is? Will you fall on your face in awe before, you, before him because of what he has done to get your attention? Will you say, I surrender? Will you say, I'm not in charge. Ooh, those are scary words. Letting go of who you are as an individual and say, okay, look, I release all of that to you. I want to share with you one more scenario how God has done just things in my life to get my attention. More recently than, you know, July of 2017, I was thinking in the office the other day about August chapter, or August chapter. That's an interesting book of the Bible, huh? I was thinking about August 18th. For you, that was the day that Jordan kind of was on staff of Bible Fellowship Church first Sunday morning. For me, four years, three years of asking God, God, what are you doing? You know what's amazing is, is you, you won't know this because you're not involved like what we are in church. Of those three, four years, we contacted major Christian colleges who have worship ministry departments that are training the next leaders for worship. And we said to them, by the way, when you have somebody graduate, we are looking for someone. You know, over, over those years, never one time did anybody ever send me an email. But one day I got a text message from a guy in Texas. He said, by the way, have you guys ever filled the position of worship at Bible Fellowship Church? 
And so I text that individual back and said, no. That individual texts back and said, by the way, would you be available for a phone call this afternoon? I said, yeah. I was sitting right out those doors on that pew. And this guy by the name of Jordan Terrell called my phone. And thankfully, we don't have security cameras in that because otherwise you'd have seen your preacher dance and that would have been a little bit scary. But you know what it was? It was God saying, Jordan, I think maybe it's time to go back to sleep. I'll never forget that thing. And so all of those things allow me to pause and say, okay, I'm in awe of who you are. Are you in awe of Jesus today? Is there something in your life that causes you to be excited about who he is? Is there something in your life when you turn to that cross and say, hey, there's the answer, there's the hope, there's the truth, there's the life. Is there something inside of you that when you hear that voice, you say, okay, I recognize you're in charge and I want to humble myself before you. I want to serve you. I want to know you as Father. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we can be together as a family. And you know every single heart sitting here. You know the ones that are excited about you. You know the ones that are playing games with sin. You know the ones that think they have it all together and say, yeah, I got this. I'm good. Just ask me. I'll tell you. And you know the ones that are broken. You know the ones that are just crushed by their circumstances right now. And they're saying, God, where are you? And you're saying, I'm here. Come. Come ask me for help. I want to be involved with you. Humble yourself before him so you can be whole. He's done amazing things like he did for Peter, James, and John. Oh, you haven't seen Jesus, the radiance of Jesus, the glory of him. I don't think you've seen that personally, but I think you've seen manifestations of it. Car accident you should have been in. Boat where you were going a little fast and you shouldn't be here today. So will you humble yourself? Will you resist the, I got it all together, I can handle this, the pride of life and say, okay, here I am. I'm before you. I've heard you speak. I see you. I know you're there. So the way that Peter, James, and John, when they saw Jesus, when they heard the voice of God, they fell on their faces. Father, may we be sons and daughters that are willing to fall on our faces before you. May we be excited about who you are. Father, send us out into a community that because we are whole, because we have a relationship with you, other people's lives will never be the same because we get the opportunity to introduce Jesus to them. That in our brokenness we found hope, And that hope is in you and you alone, Jesus. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your power, Father. May we always be in awe of who you are. I love you, Jesus. Your name I pray. Amen. I would encourage you to grab a shoebox. I'll be watching. Uh, Make sure that we send the gospel around the world. God bless. Have a great day.